Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Yesterday was a significant day. For some people, it's, uh, it was a wonderful day. Some people, not so great. Uh, but uh, I wanted to speak today on the theme of love, since the world makes a massive thing on it, about it on February the 14th. Uh, and so I've titled my talk today, Love, Fifty Shades of Grace. <laughs> Did you know a few useless facts for you as we get going today that a billion cards are sent every Valentine's Day? That's quite a few, a few cards. That teachers get the most cards. Hey? Not me. 35 million heart-shaped boxes of chocolates are sold on Valentine's Day. 220 million roses are produced. Did you know that, Mark? <laughs> Aren't you glad that you didn't have to sell those, eh? In the US, $20 billion is spent on Valentine's Day. It's massive. <clears throat> it's said that 73% of men give flowers. I wonder if that's true for you ladies. 15% of US women send flowers to themselves. <laughs> Fifty percent of Valentine's cards are bought in the six days before Valentine's Day. Lastminute.com. How many of you gents bought your cards that far in advance? I don't see any hands. I don't see any hands. <clears throat> Eleven thousand children are conceived on Valentine's Day. Did you know? And I found this quite surprising. 53% of women would end the relationship if they didn't get a gift. <laughs> hey? Do you ever wonder, do you ever wonder about the types of messages that Valentine's Day sends in regards to love? Hey? Especially with all the talk about a certain film that came out the day before. What are the messages that the world sends about love? I think it's fair to say that not all of them are that great. It is a wonderful opportunity to appreciate the people that we love, don't get me wrong. But is there more for us? Are we, <clears throat> are we guilty as a generation of falling in love with the idea of being in love as opposed to the reality of what love actually is. What do you think? Hey? We have fallen in love with this idea called love and we've become infatuated with it. But the reality is that the essence of real love, we don't cope very well with that. <coughs> It's been said, we cannot continue to mistake infatuation 
for romance or obsession for love. I wonder if you agree with that. Someone also said that marriage is a countercultural act in a throwaway society. Wow. A countercultural act in a throwaway society. Is that fair? A fair comment? Well, the statistics tell us that 40 to 50% of marriages end up in divorce. That 60% of second marriages end up in divorce. And I think the figure is 70-something percent for those who get married a third time. And I find it interesting that 73% of people cited a lack of commitment as the reason for divorce. That's interesting, isn't it? Hey? And my last interesting fact is that up to 50% of divorced people cited that they wished that they had tried harder to make it work. Half of the people who got divorced said they just wished that they had tried harder. Now, I throw all of these facts out there just to get our juices flowing, to set a context for what I want to speak about today. Because I want to hold up love. I really want to hold it up high. And I want to speak truth about love. I want to talk about what the Bible says about love. I want to talk about what Jesus showed us about love. <coughs> Those of you who are married, and I put my hand up today as the man at the top, understand that love and marriage survive by the grace of God. Hey, if we are honest, grace and all of its multitude of shades is the thing that keeps our marriages together. Let me tell you, we don't deserve to have the people that we're married to, if we're honest. Hey? And so I want to talk about that today. Hope that's all right with you. So what do we understand love to be? That's the question that I really want to ask today. Uh, the Bible talks about four layers or four shades of love that I want to focus on today. And primarily, I want to talk about the last shade or the last layer of love because I feel like that is the most significant one. And if we look at the other shades through that lens, we're going to have an awesome relationship. We're going to have awesome love going on and awesome marriages. Uh, the first one that I want to talk about today in the Greek is called sorge. And this type of love, you know when you read in your Bible or you read the word love, in, in English we use this word very loosely, like I love my wife, I love my children, I love ice cream, I love sunny weather. Hey? And so what I want to do today is just talk about four ways that in the Greek times when Jesus walked the earth in that culture, how they looked at love. And I want to talk about how the Bible talks about love. And as I said, the first one is the word sorge, which means strong affection. Okay, that's a strong emotion in a familial sense. The kind of love that you feel towards the people in your family. Right? Some of you are thinking, okay, I'll cross that one off the list. Maybe you're struggling with terrible relationships in your family. 
but the sense that this love is the most natural kind of love. You know, you love that person because they're family. They don't have to do anything to earn your love. It's not an earned kind of love. It's love that you naturally feel towards them because they are blood. And blood is thicker than water, as they say. This type of love is how you feel to your, 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 your mom or your dad, your brothers, your sisters, your aunts, your uncles. And it's the kind of love that has, in essence, not been polluted yet, but exists between family members. Really important to notice that this type of love pays the least, um, the least attention to the characteristics that demand that we are worthy of love. Does that make sense to you? This idea that we love because we are related. That's it. Amen? So that's the first uh, Greek word that we look at today, sorge. Now the Bible uses it only twice, and it uses it in a negative context as a lack of this kind of love. If you're interested, you can look at it in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 1 to 5. I won't read it, uh, but I'll leave that to you. Okay? That's one example. The second type of love today that we're going to talk about is one that's called phileo. Anyone heard that? If you've been in the church for a while, you've probably heard these words. Okay? Phileo is described as friendship or brotherly love, as in with your brother from another mother. Okay? Not your natural blood brother, but the kind of love that we have as brothers in Christ or sisters in Christ. Does that make sense? It's friendship. It's friendship or love that um, grows around common interests or time spent together. It's not like familial love, family love, which is there and we love just because. This kind of friendship is the kind of friendship that grows over time and it's the kind of love that we feel towards our best friends. Amen? Is that a helpful dis distinction for us today? <coughs> this love is talked a lot about in the Bible. And uh, for one example, you can look in Romans chapter 12, reading from verses 9 to 11. The one that says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil. And then it goes on to say, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Right? The third kind of love <coughs> is the word eros. And it's the word from which we get the word erotic. Okay? This is the physical, sexual kind of love. That shade of love. It's intense. It's passionate. It's the kind of love that we talk about when we talk about being in love. Amen? Everyone wants to be loved. Am I right? Are you happy just to have the world not love you? Or not be loved by God? Everyone wants to be loved with feelings and emotion. Remember how the Bible talks about this kind of love? What context does it talk about this kind of love? Marriage. Okay? This kind of love is best and most wonderfully expressed within the context of marriage. So we've got sorge, we've got phileo, we've got eros. I want to spend our time this morning looking at the word agape. Anyone heard the word agape before? 
It's quite commonly used these days. This love is unconditional love. This love is charitable. It's benevolent. It's given without deserving. It's covenant love. It's intentional love. <clears throat> it's sacrificial love. It's a love on a whole new level. And if you can imagine the layers of an onion, you can peel away the layers of love until you get to agape, because this is the heart of real love. Real love. And so we're going to read together in a moment from Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. And my goal today, <clears throat> I'm very conscious that as I speak, that you might be sitting here and thinking, I don't want you to leave today feeling condemned. I don't want you to leave feeling heavy or judged. You know what I'm trying to do today is pick the bar off the floor where it's fallen in our society and put it up where it belongs and let light shine into our lives so that we can be blessed and walk better for it. So as I've talked even about things today, I don't want you to feel judged because Jesus does not judge you. He loves you. But he wants truth to shine in our lives so that we can thrive in all that he has paid for for us. Amen. When we talk about agape, very interestingly, this word really found its context only in Jesus. In that culture, agape was not a common word. Because it was only when Jesus came and lived his life did he demonstrate the depth of this kind of love. So it's important for us to understand today that whilst we might be able to express uh, familial love and friendship love and erotic love, agape love is a love that's rooted in Jesus. And if you want to really effectively express this love, you need to be rooted in Jesus as well. Amen? Because whilst we can, in our own efforts, appreciate certain qualities of agape love, without His grace working in us, we can't express it consistently. And that's what we really want for us. So let's read together in Ephesians chapter 5. It'll be up on the screen. Jesus says, or sorry, Paul says, of Jesus, <laughs> Husbands, and I'm speaking to husbands today, if that's okay. Right? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So, in our present physical sense, men, you probably feel like you want to get up and walk out right now, if you're feeling like me. Because the bar just went very high very high 
If you don't get that yet, I'm going to help you to understand it. All right. <clears throat> what are we talking about here? What does agape love look like? Read this passage again and again and again and ask the Holy Spirit to show you. It talks about Jesus being the bridegroom and his church as the bride. The Bible talks about this a lot in Revelation and in other places. But this is the context that we're talking about of love, of the bridegroom and how he reacts and responds and lives for his bride and does stuff for her to make her in a certain way or to help her be what he always planned her to be. So the first thing that we see there is that Jesus gave himself up for her. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus gave his life away for you and for me. That's beautiful. Love is sacrificial. And we can watch certain movies and we can read certain books and in a very short space of time we will discover what the motivation is behind it all. What I can get. What I can get. What I can make this person become for me. That's controlling, that's abusive, that breaks God's heart. Love is sacrificial. Jesus said, I came to serve and not to be served. So let me declare today loud and clear, love is all about what you can give and not about what you can take. And I'll put my hand up and say I am one of the worst and most guilty people of trying to take in love. But that's not love. That's not the love that Jesus talks about. Paul goes on in, uh, to say that he gave himself up for her to make her holy. This first point that I'm trying to highlight here is that love is redemptive. Love is redemptive. It's about saving. Jesus redeemed us by saving us from ourselves. And the sense in this type of love of agape is this idea that I am so much better for being in relationship with Jesus. I am transformed by being in relationship with Jesus. Love ought to transform us. That love relationship ought to bring out the best in us and ought to bless us and make us who Jesus designed us to be. To save us from ourselves in one sense. We can't save ourselves. We need the grace of God. But if my presence in a relationship does not make Heidi better, I ought to question my contribution. Amen. Amen. Making her, and this is the point I'm trying to make, Jesus gave himself up for her to make her holy, to set her apart from profane things. That's what holy means, set apart. Disconnected from the common 
and holy. Husbands, is that the way you leave your wife feeling like she is better in the sight of Jesus? That she is more holy because of your presence in her life? It goes on, Paul goes on to say, washing her with water through the word. There's only one truth in the world, folks. And it's not what the magazines say. It's not what the celebrities say. It's not what the politicians say. It's what the Bible says. And you could call us fanatical for believing that. But we believe that there's a standard of truth. And we find it in God's word. It's unchanging. It's consistent. It's salvation for us. And my point really here is that as husbands, as we live in the light of God's word, as we wash our wives through the word, as we speak his living word into their lives, as we live that living word around them, they become what this passage describes at the end. Wow. I'm feeling convicted. I don't know about you, gents. I'm not feeling condemned. I know Jesus loves me. I know he cleanses me from my mistakes. And I know his grace is much more powerful than my attitudes and my behaviors. But I'm putting the bar back up where it belongs, if that's okay with you. Because marriage needs it and love needs it. The whole thing being that there will come a time when the bride is presented to the bridegroom. On that day of judgment, when Jesus comes back, he's coming back to collect his bride. And the Bible says that on, her, on that day, she will be presented and he will receive her. And I just want to say again, that we are accountable for how our wives are presented before Jesus on that day. We need to be mindful of what we are facilitating in our wives. That one day we'll stand before the Lord. Talks about presenting her as radiant, in good esteem, a great reputation, glowing, without stain, without wrinkle or any other blemish. Just imagine laundry, a laundry picture here, white sheets that are bleached and dried and ironed and pressed flat. That's this idea that one day when Jesus comes back for his bride, that's who we'll be. Radiant, without spot or wrinkle or blemish. Hallelujah. Aren't you grateful for Jesus in your life? Hey, aren't you so grateful for his wonderful kindness and for what he's given so that we may be? Because in ourselves, guys, we could never be that and we never would. It's only by the grace of God that we will be radiant without stain, wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Right now, you need to understand, guys, and girls, ladies and gents, that as a believer of Jesus, in your spirit, you are blameless and you are holy. You are perfect. That is sealed 
There's nothing more that Jesus can do. Greg spoke about this a few weeks ago in his series. Your spirit, it's done. Your soul, your soul, that emotional, non-visible part of you, your emotions, your, 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 your thoughts, that is being saved. Right? And your physical body, that bit that people look at, one day will be saved. When Jesus comes back, you'll get a brand new one. So right now, I want you to just be set free and, f- and know that no matter what you've done or how you've been, in your spirit, if you've believed on Jesus, you're perfect. Your body, hey, we're all breaking down, aren't we? But one day, I'm going to be a superhero. I'll never get sick. I'll never be sad. You know, I'll never die. But my soul, that part of me, that battleground within me, that's where this is being worked out in us. How I think, how I believe, how I treat others as a result of those beliefs, that's what we're working on today. Jesus is saving that part of us every day as we give ourselves to that process. Love is redemptive. My second point that I want to make today is that love is a decision. Love is a choice. Amen? Love is not a feeling. Can you see why that is significant? Greg talked about our feelings being like the little children in the family that run all over the place screaming. If I went with my feelings, and I'm being dead honest with you, I would not be married right now. Because my feelings on some days might be because I got a gift. Yay! On some days when I feel disappointed, I'm being truthful. And you know it's true. It's the grace of God. He's the glue that keeps us together. And so it's important that we don't build our relationships on how we feel about each other. Because if that was true, Jesus would never have come. Because I'm sure that he's been disappointed before he came to die for our sins at the way that we've lived. The Bible conveys it in a number of places. I want you to understand something today through the example of Jesus how important it is that love is a decision Psalm 139 verse 16 says your eyes saw my unformed body they saw all the days ordained for me when they were written in your book before one of them came to be before you even were a thought or a twinkle in your mom and dad's eyes Jesus saw you And he saw every good thing that you would do. He saw every sinful thing that you would do. It was laid out plain and clear. And you know what? He still came. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He still came. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. He chose you. You didn't impress him. Sorry. 
You never impressed him. He didn't get impressed and suddenly think, well, I'm going to have that one. That's a keeper. <laughs> we can't impress God, can we? Please, let's stop thinking that we're special. He makes us special, but our specialness has nothing to do with the way that we behave or act. Romans 5 verse 8, I love it, says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, whilst we were running around in our selfish, rebellious state, whilst they were hammering the nails into his hands and beating him and spitting on him and cursing him and stripping him naked, whilst we were sinners, he died for us. Did he want to die on the cross? No, not if he was listening to his feelings. Didn't he say, Lord, if this, you can take this from me, take it away. I'm not enjoying this is another way of saying it. But his love nailed him to the cross. He chose you. And his love for you, you need to understand right now, is complete. His acceptance of you is complete. You know, the world teaches us that things are worth keeping if they please us. This whole idea of throwaway society, when we look at what we can get, or what is beautiful, you know, when you think about what attracts you to your Valentine, what first attracted you to the one that you love? Wasn't it the wonderful things that you saw in them? And then after a little while, you discovered something horrendous. They were not perfect. And they had habits that drive you insane. Amen? Who's honest? Put your hand up. Okay. Right? Much of the breakdown of love in the world is this sense that I'm not happy with you anymore. You don't give me what I want. You don't please me. There's things about you that I didn't realize were there. Because we've become such good experts at hiding the things that the world tells us are rubbish. Isn't that deception? Why do we have to live our lives as people trying to pretend to be someone so that people will love us? Instead of being who we are. If there are things that you discovered about your spouse that you didn't know, it's possible that you got married too quickly. Hey? There's some logic in that. Amen? Love is a decision and a choice. And the last point that I want to make this morning is that love is enduring. And I thought about that word, endure. Yeah, it has some positive connotations, but it also has some negative connotations. Like, some people say love is all wonderful. Oh, I'm in love. Never had a fight. We've never disagreed on anything. This person is absolutely perfect. Hello. Your eyes are not open. Or you're believing a lie. Right? Sometimes love is just good old-fashioned hard work. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because that's what love needs. Love needs hard work. I'm going to say it again. Love is hard work. 
And I don't mean that in a negative sense. That is the reality of love. Stop Hollywoodizing it and glamorizing it like it's... If it's real love, then it's perfect. Love is hard work. Love nailed Jesus to the cross. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 from verse 4 to 9. Let me read it. You've definitely heard it if you've ever been to a wedding. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. Sorry, I'm pushing the bar up a little bit higher today. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Aren't you glad that you're in the book of life? And not in the other books which record every wrong thing and good thing that you did that will be revealed on the day of judgment. Right before Jesus says, I'm sorry, I never knew you. You're not going to be in that book by the grace of God. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Why does Paul use the word always? Is it not because love is enduring? It's not a destination. It's a journey that we never stop. Love never fails. Now, I could make a decision to say, I'm enough, I'm, I'm out of here. But every time I make the decision to say, I'm committed. And I love my wife. And by the grace of God, today is going to be a great day. That's how we should live our lives before the Lord. It could fail if I give up. But it will never fail if I lean on Jesus. Amen. Whew. Everyone relax. I want the grace of God just to flow into this room today. I'm just going to pray for us. Lord, I thank you for your lovely grace. God, we rest in your grace today. We declare that all that we are is as a result of your grace. That without your grace, God, love would fail every time. It wouldn't be love as you define love, Jesus. It would be some skanky, second-rate counterfeit. But we're after the real deal, Lord Jesus. And so we pray by your Spirit today that you'll whisper to our hearts and our minds that lies will shatter and break, that hearts will soften that lives will be transformed, that relationships will be transformed, that how we think about ourselves will be transformed, that marriages will be transformed, that we will be able to walk in hope and a certainty that we are loved and accepted and that we can love in your name, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You are the way. You are the truth. You're where the life lives, Lord God. You're where the joy lives, Lord Jesus. You're where love sings, 
loud and proud. And I pray today, Lord Jesus, that you would just enable us to revel in your love. Even as grace flows out today, and you may be here, folks, maybe you feel heavy in your heart. Please don't let that be condemnation. The devil wants to tie you down with a weight of guilt and shame. But Jesus says, stand up. Stand proud. I'm loving you right now. I'm holding you. I'm accepting you. I'm going to teach you what love is. And if you've never ever given your life to Jesus, you've never made a conscious decision in your heart that that is real love right there and I want to live for eternity in that love. You can know that love today. It's a simple choice that you make to receive his gift. Right now, God smiles upon us because he sees us through Jesus. And uh, our hearts cry as a church, friend, if you've never given your life to Jesus, is that you would know real acceptance in him. Without judgment, without you having to perform like a pony, but just to be able to rest in freedom. That's what waits for you today. And uh, we're going to sing a few songs of worship in a moment as we reflect on this and there are going to be people here who would love to pray with you. But I, I want to encourage you right now, folks, if you are sat here today and you have this sense that there are things that I need to get right, please don't get up and walk away. This is your time. This is Jesus meeting with you and loving you. I'd encourage you to come to the front and receive some prayer. Just say to them, you know what? I never gave my life to Jesus before. Today I want to. Please tell me how to do that. Please pray with me. You might be here and you feel like you've got wounded relationships. Your, your, your marriage might be struggling. Uh, you've recognized things in yourself that you know need to be prayed for. Come and get prayer for those things. Jesus wants you to be free to walk in his love and to walk in his light today. What an opportunity that you have right now to meet with him. His arms are wide open for you. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.